The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I was just speaking uh, uh, earlier this morning with someone who was a friend of Victor Medina who died a few weeks ago. I'd known Victor for uh, quite a number of years. And we were talking about, just briefly, about how uh, he died in a very, you know, it sounded like very beautiful, conscious way. And especially around how uh, his Dharma practice had been so important and, and helpful and supportive. And that it sounded like he died in a way that it, it not only was Dharma uh, of great help f- for him, but that he touched quite a number of people in the way he died. And so uh, that ripple effect of the benefit that he had gained, you know, it rippled out and, and touched a number of other people. And it was a great example of that, of course, Buddhist uh, uh, Dharma teachings are not, it's not something abstract. It's something very concrete and real. And it's about the reality, the actuality of our lives. And that includes, of course, uh, what we'll all deal with, you know, life and dying. But also, um, uh, really, the Dharma, it's really, I think, of, it's not, it's a, not much value unless it also uh, informs how we are able to meet all the circumstances, circumstances and situations of our lives. And that includes, of course, the joys and the happiness, but all the challenges and the difficulties, too. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Last week, uh, I spoke in San Francisco on the topic of uh, the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman situation. And um, I had been warned by several people, don't talk about that. It's, it's, now, it's been a little bit of time now, and of course, for some people... It hasn't settled down, and the pain's very real. I think, in general, it's not dominating the news every day, so for, for some of us, it may feel like it's settling down. So there's been a little time. But uh, my thought was, precisely because it is such, was such a difficult and highly charged situation, we, it's important to talk about that. We don't want to shy away from it. We actually w- want to be able to go into that. We need to learn, uh, you know, how are we, how do we work with these situations that are highly polarizing, can be quite emotional? And so I did speak about it last week, and I'd like to say some about that uh, here today. And then um, I hope to... Uh, Uh, and soon enough that we could actually open it up for some discussion or if other people have things they would like to share also. In uh, approaching any situation in life, uh, I hope uh, that we can, as Dharma practitioners, in order to inform how we want to respond or be in relationship to anything, we need to be very clear about, first of all, what are our intentions for how we want to be in life? What's important for us? What are our highest values? Uh, 
And so uh, many of you, I look around and uh, there's, there's a number of people here that I've known. I don't think there's anyone here I know well, uh, intimately, but there's many people here I've known for years and some of you may be newer practitioners. And uh, I hope if you haven't, that you will take some time to reflect in your life of, you know, what are your highest or you could say deepest intentions or aspirations before we even turn to meet and face any particular situation, uh, it, we should, ref- I hope, reflect on, you know, uh, what are my highest values or my intentions? What's most important to me in my life? Or uh, what are the qualities uh, of, of most importance that I want to cultivate? And so, you know, there'll be many, many answers to that for each of us, but I think the fact that we're here today in a Buddhist Dharma meditation gathering, I'm assuming that for all or almost all of us, I hope that uh, part of the answer to that is, is uh, deepening uh, or actualizing these beautiful, uh, profound Dharma teachings and qualities in our lives. And so uh, when you reflect on these, it may be that you're, what's important to you or, is you want to uh, uh, deepen your heart of compassion or love, perhaps wisdom, clarity, non-reactivity, kindness, being able to be more wisely responsive rather than uh, blindly reactive in situations. It could, be, it could be, you know, you'll have to find your own words, It may be when you reflect on your highest intentions or aspirations in your life. It could be things that are quite mundane or, or, you know, in the just the normal material kind of things we think of. You have to come to your own uh, answers on that. But it's so important because if we can be clear, if we're not clear on what our intentions are, it's so much easier for circumstances to just take us, especially when things are powerful and just, you know, the energies are strong and just pull us where, in whatever direction or whatever way they will. Even if we're clear about our intentions, it's still tough when the energy in any situation is really, really strong, right? But at least we have a better chance if we can know. So, for example, an aspiration that I often I think I've shared in this group is I have a real aspiration to live in a way that my heart never closes off to any living beings, period. That, and that's a sincere aspiration. And I have many, many opportunities to, to see where uh, there's more work to be done all the time. But that's all right. In fact, I feel like it's not so important to judge uh, how well or poorly I'm actually showing up or, or, or manifesting that aspiration in any particular situation. It's my willingness and my it's getting back in touch with my intention to honestly doing, you know, we do the best we can, right? That's all we can do. So just doing the best we can to be willing to when I don't, when I fall short of that aspiration, I don't have to beat myself up and judge myself. 
I can see them as opportunities and hold it that way. And I think that's what's so important. So we don't want to fall into, because it's so easy to fall into uh, judging ourselves, self-criticism. Because it's not, look, for all of us, it's real easy to find, you know, our faults. Hopefully, uh, in addition to that, uh, one of the things I think that we often don't talk about enough is spending time getting in touch with all the things that are, that are right and good and, and beautiful in us. And we need to actually be in touch with, with that. We have to know what that feels like. It's like a muscle memory if you're learning to you know, do something in sports or play a musical instrument. It's, you've just got to be fluent. It's got to become second nature. Well, we also have to know from the inside what's the feeling of our own goodness or our own beauty because we need to be able to access that. So that's important. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but I just want to name that. I, I think that's of utmost importance. But of course, also, it's important to, to work with, come to know, shed light on the places where there is more work to be done, where we can create suffering for ourselves and for others. So we're familiar with that too and have the willingness to hold it with more of a sense of inquiry, investigation, curiosity, and not to be afraid. Again, we do the best we can. Sometimes that's easier to say than to do. And I, I, believe me, I, I, I understand that. But if we can start to bring that attitude in, then we can see the times when uh, we do fall short. We don't, we're not actually living in the moment manifesting our highest aspiration, but we see it as an opportunity. And then, um, then we're not afraid anymore, and it opens up. Uh, we actually want to know. If, if, if I have this real aspiration, and if I'm serious about it, I, and, and if there's places in me that have the potential for ill will, I'd rather see them than not see them. I don't have to go looking, Right? Life is going to give all of us many, many opportunities. You don't have to go looking for them. So don't worry, you know, (laughs) you'll have lots of chances. And then the question is, are we, first of all, awake enough in the moment to what's happening rather than falling into habitual reactive patterns to, and and, and we are going to fall into habitual reactive patterns plenty of times. Okay, it's going to happen. You know ahead of time. When it happens, okay, all bets are off then, right? What can you do? You're just caught in a situation you don't even know, but at some point you'll wake up out of the, I don't know, the trance of that situation. And then we'll have some freedom and choice in how to respond. That's why in addition to being in touch with our aspirations, our intentions, we also, it's important to do practices such as we do here to learn to bring some stability to our minds, to learn to quiet and calm our minds, to learn to become more mindful or clearly aware. So we are lost on automatic pilot less of the time, or we tend to be lost not as deeply. And that stream of wakefulness more and more just becomes more a, a... a characteristic, and it shifts from being a practice of mindfulness to being more and more of a, uh, a trait. Uh, 
and we can live in that stream of wakefulness more and more. And so we want to be in touch with our intentions, do, uh, bring in these um, uh, practices to help us. They could be practices of cultivating good hearts, clear minds, whatever it is for each of us. And then we live our lives and we interact with the realities. <clears throat> and it's going to include the entire right range of what happens, including everything that happens to us individually, in closer circles of people we come in contact with, in our larger communities, and in society as a whole. And with each of these, we have, there are choice points on, there's what's going on, there is, uh, uh, and it's not just so simple of what's our choice to, and how to respond, because of course, depending on the circumstances, there's not just one answer to what's, inappropriate, what's appropriate. So sometimes what's needed, if something, especially if something's very intense or strong, what's really needed is either to get out of the situation, if we have the choice, we don't always have the choice, or to somehow get the intensity down. We have to acknowledge it's not a failure to say that this situation is too much. And so, as an example, going back to that aspiration of I mentioned, wanting to keep my heart open to all beings, never have it close off. So it's easy to sit in, in an abstract sense, right, and, and you know, visualize or send kindness or compassion to all beings. What happens then when I get around actual beings? <laughs> right? And what happens when in the moment the feeling is it's not only not kindness, but maybe I don't want to. As a matter of fact, I really want to let them have it. And everything feels that way. Well, what is that doing? First of all, it's coloring my whole perception. And also... Um, you know, what happened to my grand, lofty aspiration? It doesn't seem so lofty right in the moment. That's why it's so important to, to really... It's like you drive a, uh, a stake deep, deep into the ground that's really solid. I don't need that stake all the time, but if it really gets strong, I know it's there. I'm familiar with it. I've reflected on it. I've touched it many times, and it's there. And so sometimes I've got to hold on to it even when everything's pulling me in a different direction. So we have to know that may be what's needed in the time, in a, in a particular time. And that's an interesting place to pay attention to if, if you haven't done, done that is, I mean, you, you, you don't even want to do that. So are we able then to just say, all right, wait a minute. Now, again, acknowledging that sometimes we don't have the luxury. It's just happening and that's a time when we need a lot of compassion. You know, if you're whatever, you're with your, say you're married, and if you've been the same person for 20 years or whatever, and they're doing the same thing that uh, uh, I happen to have been married for 20 years, and so uh, let, let me not make it abstract. So, so here I am. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, we mostly do fine, but right? I'm not going to tell you we never have an argument. And, you know, it's like, 
doesn't she know? That's the same thing that pisses me off. Uh, and I've told her a hundred times. And, you know, and I just, you spin down that thing and it's like, Argh. Well, all right. Instead of saying what it feels like I want to say now, you know what? I can come back in two hours and do it. I'm not going to lose the opportunity. I'll just let her have it then. Yeah. Or tomorrow. Now I'm going to go and actually use the time to what happens if I let myself calm out, calm down, give it some time, reflect, maybe think about, well, maybe she was right, or, you know, what, what was my part in that? And it's true. She says, you know, I get reactive, or whatever it is. Let it all smooth out. Now what does it feel like I want to do? Oftentimes, it's just, just let it go. I don't, I don't need to whatever, and you move on. Or what can be useful sometimes if, if there's a difficult situation is rather than directly in the face of it, in the moment, in the heat of the battle, to try to open ourselves in, in a place of kindness, what happens if I do anything, whatever it is, to actually gladden my heart and mind, not only take time to let the intensity come down, but perhaps there's something that, that just makes me feel better. Like I go out into nature or I listen to a, a piece of music that, that's inspiring or I read a quote or I go talk to someone or do, listen to a tape or, or something and get myself not only where I'm, uh, it's more neutral, I'm not actually in negativity, but I'm actually, my heart's uplifted and I really feel in a loving, good place. Now what happens when I turn to meet that challenging situation? So there's a lot of... That's another just possible technique we might use. It's all around this idea that sometimes the situation in the moment is too intense and we need to bring in other skillful means. A lot of times we don't need to do that. We just have the tools. We've developed them over time. That's why we want to spend time when we're not, uh, hopefully if we have the luxury, where we're not in the midst of the worst crisis. Again, I realize some of us here in this room won't have that luxury, so you do the best you can. We work with what we have the best we can. And then how am I going to meet the situation? So now I'll come back to what I originally brought, the, the whole... Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman piece. You know, I don't need to say that it's been um, really, really, it's brought up a lot. My, uh, so what is it I know when I go into either, I'm listening to the news, I live in Oakland, so, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, it's settled down now, a lot of uh, violence going on there. It's been quite contentious, uh, you know, even if I'm not directly physically in the situation, if I'm just listening to the news or I'm having a conversation with someone, you know, how am I going to meet that? What can I bring to meet any of these situations? What is it that I know? Well, I know what my intentions, my aspirations are, as I've mentioned. I spend a lot of time reflecting on them. I hope uh, people will, everyone will take time every day, even if it's just a few moments or longer to reflect on those things. If you're not clear on what they are, it's a lifetime, it deserves a lifetime of exploration and inquiry. So I know that. What else do I know? What I know for myself is that I care about 
my own suffering and I care about the suffering of others. I know that that's true. Well, if I care about my suffering, the suffering of others, then um, it can start to make a shift when I realize that. It's not just that I'm angry or you feel this or we disagree. It's that, okay, wait a minute. Maybe that means I can start to listen instead of being reactive and being more present. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everyone. And it doesn't mean that if there's certain things, I don't have to stop feeling quite strongly or passionately about things either. You know, Buddhism doesn't mean we just, you know, we accept everything as it is and we become sort of these passive, uh, just, you know, blobs and, and, and don't take action. Actually, my experience, and I think that of many people I know, is that the more we start to wake up to these Dharma qualities and to the, our own inner experience and to be more in touch with our own intentions, rather than becoming m- more disconnected, people tend to become more connected. Now, I'm not saying that's true for everyone, but it certainly can happen. We want, we, because again, if we care about our suffering and the suffering of others, well, that can, take, that can manifest in many different ways. So some people may be drawn into more social action or political action, right? And hopefully to be informed from their Dharma practice. That's not true for, for many people, but so you have to see for yourself how it, how it on its own wants to be called forth, right? So the Dharma doesn't mean we just, you know, stop. We just sit here and somebody's, pounding us on the head and we're just, no. There's a lot of um, um, discourses in which the Buddha uh, gives some very graphic examples, extreme examples of, of people acting in very bad ways and mistreating us. And he says something that's pretty astounding. He says, in those, I won't tell you because some of them are so graphic that they, they're actually quite reactive in people sometimes. If you hear, maybe, now maybe you're curious. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you one. <laughs> so I have to, but first I have to preface it that this one, because I'm a little gun shy, I've had, I actually have used this before and I've had people be so reactive like, well, that's just absurd. And what, what is, this is ridiculous. But you have to understand what, what the Buddha was saying. So there's a simile called the simile of the saw. And so, okay, get ready, here it comes. The Buddha said, if people were to attack you on the road and basically take a saw and saw off your arms and legs. Okay, that's a pretty rough image, right? If you gave rise to a mind of hatred towards them, you wouldn't be carrying, the Buddha said, you wouldn't be carrying out his teachings. What the proper teaching is to be trembling out of concern for their welfare. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty high standard, right? <laughs> now, first, two things about that. First of all, um, the way I hold that, I, I, actually, um, I actually have touched into meditative states where in that moment they felt so transcendent that I don't know, I haven't had that, but... It did feel like uh, it was more of an unconditional place of love that you could touch into. So perhaps it's possible, maybe the Buddha is speaking to 
what might be possible ultimately for human beings to attain. I don't know. I haven't reached the end of the, the, end of the path. But, so we just want to hold it possibly as just a, it's an archetype or it's just an ideal perhaps or something that might actually be, you know, we want to be open to the possibility human beings could attain that. But another important piece there is you notice the Buddha doesn't tell you what your action should be there. He's talking about your attitude. He's not saying when we sit there, he didn't say don't try to get away, don't defend yourself, don't defend others. You know? So uh, it, it doesn't make sense not to act in ways that don't take care of ourselves and take care of others. So... Um, then how, how do we meet if we're actually in this situation? Well, when the rhetoric is high, and I've had some discussions, and you, by the way, uh, we may not all have the same politics or the same attitudes. In just a moment, I'm actually, my point here isn't to get into the specifics so much of that particular verdict or case, although people are welcome to if you want to. I don't object to that. I'm going to name just a couple of things specific because I don't want to be afraid to say, well, this, was, this is actually an opinion specifically I hold. If you hold a different op- view and opinion, act- that's perfectly fine. And in fact, what I'm talking about here works fine because then you get to see, oh, what's it like right now? And here's this guy sitting up here. I'm, I'm up on this little platform. I'm giving the talk, and I'm espousing some view, and you actually think it, the opposite is true. How do you hold that? Can you be open to, uh, to just hearing another person's perspective? You don't even have to agree with it, but you know, what's your relationship with it? Because my experience has been the more I can be present, and if someone can feel as if they're heard you have a much greater chance to actually, even if you disagree, at least to say, okay, well, wait a minute, where's this person coming from? Yeah. So, uh, for example, um, my politics happen to be uh, pretty liberal. And um, I have, uh, but I've been speaking with uh, several people, uh, this was maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, some family members in particular who were uh, actually had a very different perspective were quite conservative and had a whole different take on the whole, entire situation. Yeah? And so uh, we actually had to, got to have an interesting dialogue about it. So uh, I'm not saying every case could work out like that. So, so for example, when we hear, say, many, many people in the African-American community who are extremely upset, afraid for their children, uh, you know, they just, it's just reinforcing their, th- what their reality of institutional racism and everything. Well, that may not be, say, your own perspective, but rather than being reactive, if we care about the suffering of others, we want to know what's your reality so we can listen and hear and say, okay, well, wait a minute. What's, the, what are the, what's this person saying? What is their reality? And we can start to maybe open up to, you know, stand in another person's shoes. Now, I've had a great experience around that when I uh, it was mentioned in, the, in my intro. I, I'm a co-founder of an organization called Mindful Schools. And we train people to bring mindfulness training into K through 12. And uh, I'm not, I'm, now I'm just on the board. I, but I, when it first started, I was uh, teaching in some inner city schools in Oakland. It was quite eye-opening. You know, I know 
intellectually I know, you know, what the situation some people live in. But then I, uh, you know, I, I'm showing up in the schools in some neighborhoods that, uh, uh, you know, I don't really know. Maybe it was my own racism, but I didn't feel safe dri- driving there in the day. That was, just doing that was very eye-opening. First of all, what's going on here? Why, you know, j- you know I look around. It, I actually don't have any evidence that, that this is unsafe. I actually wanted to examine my own heart. When I come in and things look a certain way, all of a sudden it's not safe. That's just I, had, I maybe didn't notice that kind of things before, right? And then you start to see other people's realities. I remember one third grade kid came up to me once in one of these uh, African-American kid and living in, you know, some uh, neighborhoods that I, I wouldn't want to live in. And he came up and he was so thankful and sharing with me how appreciative he was about mindfulness because when he takes his garbage out, he has to carry a baseball bat with him because it's not safe to take out his garbage. And now it's helped him calm down and not be so tense when he takes out. And he's just telling me this as casually as just talking about the weather. And this is this kid's life. It, got to, it opened up in a way because it's real. It wasn't just a concept for me. And so we can start to open up in these ways. And uh, now, you know, it used to be I just take my garbage out. And that's fine. You don't have to make a big thing about taking your garbage out. Now when I take my garbage out, and I'm not doing it as a practice, it just pops into my consciousness. I'm actually aware that I don't have to bring a baseball bat out and that I can just take out the garbage. And like it brings up so much about uh, the privilege, if I, if I can use that word, I like that word, of being how I was, you know, what, what were the circumstances that came together so that I live in a part, in, you know, I've had a certain education, I've had certain economic, you know, uh, advantages, I live in a nice neighborhood, you know, when I see the police drive da- by, the f- my first automatic reaction is, ah, friend. In the neighborhoods where I was teaching the school, the first automatic reaction is, you know, not safe for the enemy. That's just how it arises arose in some of these. No, I'm, not, I'm making generalizations here. So I can start to open up, oh, what's somebody else's reality? Then I talked to uh, someone in my family, and he was saying, uh, well, his reality is, is that when he sees an Young, Af- you know, this is the stereotype, young African-American boys or teenagers, he says, he is afraid. And there's all these break-ins and, you know, and he's kind of going off and it's all the black guys and whatever, he's kind of going off. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. That's his experience. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't some things that should be looked at there, maybe. And it may or may not be appropriate for me to do that in this situation. I happen to be able to say, well, wait a minute, you know, do, you know I, I, I go back to my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee, and when I look in the paper, actually most of the, I, I've done this exercise, most of the crimes are not, uh, not uh, African Americans. It's mostly white people. What sticks in his mind, he doesn't notice that. So th- there might be a lot there to unpack that's important, right? If the person's willing and open, but... Before I even get there, I just want to hear his experience. He's telling me he's not, he's not trying to make it a certain way. That's how it arises in his mind. So I say, okay, wait. 
you have that experience, that might be the starting off point for a whole piece that could get into around our society and the legacy of, you know, centuries of slavery and another hundred years of Jim Crow. And, uh, you know, there could be a lot in institutional racism. There could be a lot uh, that, could, that could be unpacked there that actually, I think, should be unpacked. But I don't need to worry about that. My place is, can I just meet someone and be present? And here is reality. And then I don't have to know ahead of time how that might unfold. But then maybe there's a dialogue that happens, or maybe not. But I have a chance to be present with this difficulty. So my own feeling, because I don't want to uh, 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 skirt away from it, I'll just tell you, uh, around George Zimmerman is um, I kind of have a mix there that, first of all, Unlike my wife, who thought the uh, um, couldn't believe just the, just the terribleness of the jury verdict, I had a different perspective. Uh, mine was given the law, the way I I didn't follow it that closely, but my understanding was is that even if so, if I have it wrong, that's you know you could correct me. But my understanding was even if George Zimmerman started the whole thing, which he kind of did, I think, but uh, uh, he. Uh, once they're in a fight, if he wants to, if he changes his mind, says, okay, wait a minute, no, I want to stop, I give up, and if, if, if he honestly felt feared for his life, the, this Meshuggah law, that's a Yiddish for my, uh, Meshuggah crazy law, is that he could, I mean, what's the guy doing carrying a loaded gun? But, you know, he can protect himself, and that you had to have reasonable doubt, and that, that he didn't f- fear for his life, and so I felt like the jury just, they were just constrained in, and that basically they had to give that verdict. Separate from that, um, there's the whole, that's a different issue of what's going on with these laws <laughs> and the whole stand your ground. Now that, uh, I, I just don't think that's a good law and it should be changed and all of that, and I hope people will do that. So that's a different issue. Yeah. And along with that, I'll add in for completeness that I also feel like uh, so I felt like the jury had to, in the specifics of the case, had to acquit him. But at the very least, because I don't know what actually happened, there was too much doubt once those guys... Were, but to say he has no culpability, it's like, you know, you set in motion a chain of, of causal events. You know, if you follow someone, if you get out of the car, if you've decided ahead of time to carry a loaded gun, you know, you start doing all these things, every choice we make in life starts to open up potentials that could happen and close off other potentials there. So, you know, we start heading in a certain direction, right? So, um, you know, I don't know what his percent, uh, uh, cul- I don't know if culpability is the right word, but a responsibility for this or a couple, but, it, but it's more than zero is my feeling about it. So how you work that out in the law, I don't know. So anyway, I just wanted to say that as part of this because... Uh, I felt like I didn't want to chicken out and not uh, tell you what... Uh, I don't know where that term chicken out came from. It's kind of <laughs> picking on the chickens maybe. But, but anyway, but to, to, to really just to put that out and say it. So, uh, uh, and you can notice your reaction if you agree, disagree, whatever. Uh, well. Hmm. I hope I just realized I was just lost track of the time. We only have five minutes, and it feels a little abrupt. I actually wanted to kind of wrap it back to our intention and aspiration, but actually, perhaps, even though it's only five minutes, I'll just stop 
Uh, I hope that's not too abrupt because perhaps some other people would like to offer up uh, anything in the five minutes. It's, I'm sorry I didn't have uh, more time. I just lost track of the time. Sorry, there's one person behind, and then and then. I appreciate the talk, and I feel the need to um, do a commercial for a program that Bill Moyers did about ALEC, A-L-E-C. And if anybody has interest in knowing more, more where our government is going, there are 14 states that have Stand Your Ground or something like that, and it's pretty much started by this group called ALEC. And I really encourage you to hear this program. It's on YouTube, A-L-E-C. It's American. I don't, it doesn't matter. A-L-E-C. Bill Moyers, there's two, somebody's already shaking their head, yes, that's heard it, I guess. It's very disturbing <laughs> to know what's really happening in our country with people trying to make sure the states do everything and the federal government is useless. I, I, that's way too simplistic, but please think seriously about this. Okay, thank you. Yes, uh, I think his hand was up next. I'm sorry, I'm trying uh, try to manage it. Thank you. Um, talk was great teaching thank you um yeah i guess i just feel the need to, to 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 talk about this because it's resonating with me really strongly um i guess i'm a little bit hesitant but um, i'm just going to go for it so yeah i hear what you're saying about um you know making decisions and certain potentialities arising and then others closing off um and then also uh, the, 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 the teaching earlier that you mentioned about the Buddha with the hands and arms getting sawed saw off, thank you, and whatnot. Um, yeah, and I feel uh, there, was a, there was something that happened to me when I was younger. I was, um, when I was 14, I was, um, I, I was actually, a group of people found me on the street, and uh, they brutally beat me, and I was put in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, it was, I was injured pretty badly, but... Um, I uh, was so angry about it for a long time, and I wanted revenge. And even to this day, I still try to forgive those people. Um, and and it's actually, it actually feels more rewarding to fantasize about revenge. And, uh, <laughs> um, but for a while, um, I, uh, I um, yeah, it's just, it's just been a, a tough process for me, but I feel like that um the, you know the the that what the buddha was talking about for, for me sounds totally practical given that i have been uh carrying around a type of poison for such a long time um so that for me is something that i actually have to do i have to get past that barrier in order to go to the next step um but i just i just felt compelled to share that thank you well, thank you for doing that. You know, I'm realizing, I'm, I hope someone didn't have anything burning because we're going to, I just want to respond for one moment, but we're right up against the clock. So, um, you know, sorry if anybody really had something. Hopefully you can share with me or with others when we break here. But I just want to, first of all, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing about that. Um, you know, um, that's pretty extreme what happened to you. And, you know, um, that's a whole huge topic that uh, it's a really, uh, it's, you know, it can be easy to, I, I haven't had anything like that, but I've had, uh, you know, if you grow up in the South, in the redneck South as a Jew with a nose like this, uh, uh, I've had, uh, not quite to that extent, but I've, I've, I've been beat up and I've, uh, I've had a lot of, of 
and I know what it's like to, to have uh, hatred in my heart. That, so I, have, you know, I can only imagine when it goes that extreme. And it's a, um, you know, it can be a long-term process to slowly you know, come out of that and, and our feelings. So thank you for it. And so we have to be very respectful of, uh, I guess, as, of, of our own what's happened to us and, and um, you know, make sure we're not uh, invalidating our own experience and what's happened and, and all of that. So anyway, thank you. Um, uh, all right, so here's, it's 10.45, which is the ending time. So what I'd like to do is uh, take... It'll be less than one minute. And just ask you to take a few moments, and um, if you're not already doing so, to um, bring your attention and connecting in. The invitation is to connect into your body, which is whatever's going on. And also whatever's going on in the states of your heart and mind. So what, just the whole totality of your experience, you may or may not have anything particularly popping out to you. Maybe something in this talk came up or didn't or other aspects of your life. And I invite you to notice not only what's happening in your experience, but how are you relating or how are you being with What's going on? In other words, can can you bring a sense of allowing or, or letting yourself be, letting yourself have that experience, and not creating a contention or, or or stress around it? And just notice if you're able to or not. You know, it's not always so easy. So we just notice how it is for you, and if there is some place where you're not able to let go around or have acceptance for, then to bring some acceptance for that place in you. And then finally, you might want to just stay with that. Or finally, just to end by taking just a moment to reflect on your own good intentions. Everyone here has at least some good, good aspirations, good intentions. And uh, if you can't feel them, that's all right. And then to just... Um, since we only have this one minute, just to, just to sort of feel into the goodness of that, rest in the goodness of that as something to help carry us as we move forward and as we move out of this form and into the rest of the morning and the day. Sit quietly just for a few moments and I'll ring a bell to end. So uh, thanks for your kind attention, everyone. It was great to practice with you.